This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Before coming to Resurrection as a church planting resident, I was in a different career path. I was a university professor and I was teaching psychology. And at times, I'm sure I frustrated and disappointed my students, although I did have a really good RateMyProfessors.com rating. But every once in a while, I could see that I was really making a difference in a student's life. And I can't help but think of one of my former students. I will call her Kim. Kim took several classes with me. She would come periodically during office hours, and we would chat about academics, we would chat about her life, we would chat about her future and what she wanted to do. And she even visited our house a few times when we would have classes over for dinner. So she had met our family as well. Now during finals week of her senior year, she came in one final time to my office and with tears in her eyes, said how much she was grateful for all I taught her about psychology and life and how I modeled to her what it looks like to be a Christian professor, husband, and father. But what touched my heart even more than that was the card that she left on my desk as she left. I opened it and I read her words and she wrote, I grew up in church and heard so much about what Jesus was like. And I had pastors preach really great sermons about Jesus, but you actually showed Jesus to me. That somehow, I, I can't put a finger on exactly how, but when I was with you and your family, it was like I was with Jesus. I experienced grace. I experienced kindness and peace and humility and God's presence. Of course, not every one of my interactions with another person ends up with this kind of testimony. Uh, and even that student's note really caught me by surprise. But her words cut to the heart of what it means for us to believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. Because every Christ follower here this morning has an amazing and a thrilling, uh, but yet almost sobering responsibility and privilege. We are called to show Jesus to the world. Now think of the people you know, your neighborhood, the place you work or the place you go to school, your family. As a church community, think about Wheaton and how God has called us to reach this community and even around the world. We have an amazing calling to show, to actually embody the presence of Jesus to the world. That's one of the themes that comes through in our gospel passage this morning. We use a word to describe what happens in this passage, incarnation. It's what theologian J.I. Packer calls the supreme mystery of the gospel. It's not just an important idea, it's actually the central reality of our Christian faith. And you might have noticed in the bulletin the title of this sermon is Incarnation Continued. Now, of course, there's only one incarnation. The word means that Jesus, the God in Jesus, the God of the universe, took on human flesh. God became one of us. Jesus shows us what it's like, what God is really like. Now, there's another sense in which the work of that one incarnation actually continues through us. As the Gospel of John likes to put it, because Jesus lives inside of us, we are his witnesses. 
So we're going to explore two questions this morning. First, what is Jesus' incarnation? And the second, spend a little more time on how does the work of his one incarnation actually continue through us as his followers? So first, incarnation comes from a Latin word that just means in flesh. Where is it found in the Bible? It's not found in the Bible. But the content of incarnation is actually what we see here in John chapter 1. So let's look back at this gospel passage. I think it was page 886 in your Res Bibles, if you have that. But the very first verse in John chapter 1 points us back to the very beginning of Genesis with the words, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the ancient Greeks would have thought about this rational or logical principle that's in every human being. The Jews would obviously think of Torah, God's self-expression that brings His power and healing and forgiveness. So this Word was God, but He was somehow distinct from God and eternally existent with Him. And we see a little bit now in verse 14 how this is starting to make more sense when we see that the Word became human flesh and actually dwelt among us. This infleshing is described in a really bold way. It's not that, that this Word just adopted the form of a body. He actually became human flesh. And so he's the genuine, ultimate self-revelation of God. It's kind of like what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews said in the very beginning of that work, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, in the Old Testament, God dwelled among His people in the tent or the tabernacle, but now God takes up residence in human flesh, the same human flesh that we have so that we can be taken up into the very life of God. And this is the ultimate manifestation of God to human beings. Jump down to verse 18, the last verse in this passage. Beforehand, before this time, people knew about God. They knew His characteristics. They had words from Him, but it was impossible to see Him. But now Jesus, Himself God, eternally existent from him, but yet sharing the same essence, makes God known to us. He is the, the exegesis, the drawing out the interpretation of, or the narration of who God is. And what we sometimes miss is that in Jesus, we also find what it means to be truly human. Yes, we know what it means through Jesus, what God is like, but we also know and learn what it means to be truly human. Why is this good news? Since Jesus is fully God, He brings us to participate in His eternal relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that He's enjoyed in eternity. On the other hand, since He's fully human, we can be fully saved because He brings the totality of all of our humanness into the very life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Gregory of Nazianzus reminded us in the fourth century, in order to heal all the parts of our humanity, God actually assumed all of those parts. 
<laughs> Think of that for a minute. Your physical body that's exhausted from staying up all night caring for that sick child, that just went through a grueling semester and is exhausted, or dealing with that chronic health issue that just won't go away, Jesus brings that humanity into the very life of God. Your thoughts and feelings of shame, depression, anxiety, fear from the breakup, from the infertility that you've been dealing with, from another rejection letter from another employer, from getting passed over for a promotion, all of that humanness Jesus brings into the life of God. And the emptiness inside, that nagging emptiness that we try so hard to fill with substances and medicating and distracting with activity and streaming media, I'm not talking to anyone there. Jesus brings all of that into the life of God. He takes our humanity. We get the life of God. So knowing God is not some neutral, detached proposition or an enlightenment toward an abstract salvation that's somewhere out there, it's inherently a relational salvation. It's embodied. It's God becoming human flesh that we might live into the life of God. That is incarnation. So the second part, what does continued mean? Clearly, it means keep going. And so, in some sense, the incarnation isn't over, but how does it continue? First, it continues because the incarnation capital I was not a temporary thing, that Jesus was human for a while, then he shed the humanity so he could go back up and be with God in the state that he was before. No, even now at the right hand of the Father, as Jesus is interceding for us, he does so in his resurrected, glorified body, so forever, from now until forever, God and humanity are joined together. Humans are forever brought into the very life of God through Jesus. Second, it was Jesus' plan all along for his presence to continue on earth, to be embodied in us, among the people of God, the church. Let's take a quick look later in John's Gospel, when Jesus is actually preparing his disciples for the time that he will physically go away. Chapter 14, verses 16 through 20. This is shortly after Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father. And if you remember how Jesus replied, he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Verses 16 through 20 of chapter 14, later in the Gospel of John. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And I love this part. This is such good news. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I 
in you. Did you catch that? In one sense, Jesus is going away, but in another very real and better sense, he's going to be even more present with his disciples because he's going away. Because the Holy Spirit is going to indwell them, ministering the presence of Jesus, the very life of Jesus to them. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This can be really hard for us to believe because in our experience, when someone goes away, that person is less present to us. They're not more present when they leave. They're less present. So if Father Matt is here, sitting back there, we can interact with him. We can ask him questions. We see him. We can touch him. He's here. He's present with us. But if he would, Father Matt would move away to Hawaii forever, he would be less present with us. Now, of course, we could carry our memory of Father Matt around with us in our hearts, but he wouldn't be more present. In fact, if, if he got up, to us, uh, got up before us and said, you know, it's good news that I'm going away to Hawaii because I'll be even more present with you, we would encourage Father Matt to get help because that is not true. It cannot be true. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. I am going to my Father, but that's good for you because I will be even more present to you. I will be in you because we are indwelled with his presence by the Holy Spirit. So we are united to Jesus' enfleshed body and the eternal communion that he shares with the Father through the Holy Spirit. And we're nourished and we're sustained by participating in the very life of Jesus. But there's more. We're also now participating in his active presence to the world. In theological language, we often use the word sacrament, what the Bible calls a mystery, to describe a visible sign of an invisible grace-made reality. So visible sign of an invisible reality. In a way, it's kind of like the title to my car. Now, how do you know that the old 2002 red Honda Accord out in the parking lot is my vehicle? You can't really believe that because I drove it in here necessarily today and has a Wisconsin sticker on the back that it's mine, I might have stole it from someone else, for all you know. But in our culture, anytime a car is purchased, the title is signed by the buyer and the seller, and this is the thing that transfers ownership of the vehicle to the next person. So ownership is not a visible thing. It's, it's invisible in a way. But the title is the visible sign, this visible sheet of paper that we can hold. It, it signifies the ownership of that vehicle. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy, of course. But in the sense that there's something visible that makes an invisible reality present to us, Jesus is actually the sacrament of God. We've just seen in John 1 that God, who has never been seen, took on human flesh in the person of Jesus to make God known to us. Or in Paul's words in, first, uh, in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if we wonder what God is like, where do we look? We look to Jesus. 
Well, great. Well, how do we know what Jesus looks like then? First, of course, we look to Scripture, and we find lots of, uh, lots of inf- not just information, but we see what Jesus is like. We look there, of course. But there's another way that we experience Jesus today, and that's through his body, the church. If you've been around here at Res for even a short time, you've probably heard the phrase, matter matters, and it was probably said about three times as fast as that, and with probably about four times as much passion and vigor, because it's one of the favorite phrases of our bishop. The incarnation incarnation is perhaps the prime reason why. Because God has chosen to meet us in our very creation, using the stuff of our world to make himself known. And since we've been incorporated to the life of Jesus, united with his body through the Holy Spirit, we become the sacrament, in a way, of Jesus. What does that mean? We are the visible sign of the presence of Jesus to the world. So Jesus is the sacrament of God. We are the sacrament of Jesus, the embodied presence of Jesus in our world. We hear words like that, and sometimes it just flies past. But to think what that means, that how does this incarnation continue? It continues through us. What? The church has for a long time recognized a connection between incarnation and witness. And if we even look at the church calendar, we see that. How we open the 12-day season of Christmas, of course, we celebrate the nativity of Jesus on the 25th, but then we have three feast days right in a row. The Feast of St. Stephen, the Feast of St. John the Evangelist, and the Feast of the Holy Innocents. All the kids who were uh, tracked down by Herod uh, trying to, all the kids are here, so we're <laughs> trying to make this less gruesome. They were tracked down by Herod as he was trying to get rid of Jesus. Now, these three people or groups bore witness to Jesus in different ways. All of them either laid down their life or they were willing to lay down their life for Jesus, some in a voluntary way, some in an involuntary way, but all of them bore witness to Jesus in their bodies. In fact, even our gospel text today, John chapter 1, mentions incarnation and witness in the same breath, because you noticed in verses 7 and 8, it talked about John the Baptist coming, and he came to bear witness about the light. He himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And if we look a little later in this chapter, we see John's primary message to the world around him, and it was... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is wonderful and true witness. But do you know that we can bear witness to Jesus in a way that John the Baptist could not? John could rightly proclaim that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would bring salvation to humans. He actually encountered God incarnate in the person of Jesus. But John never experienced the union with Jesus that we can have. Because Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was present with his followers, but he was not in them. We, though, on the other side of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, have Jesus in us, which we saw in John 14. 
So we don't witness to Jesus apart from him as if salvation were this abstract thing that we could offer someone or that we could achieve or get apart from him. No. We embody this Jesus who actually is himself salvation. In other words, salvation is not a thing. It's actually a person. It's the word made flesh. And we're united with salvation himself. As we think about our life with Jesus, the starting point is really important. And that starting point needs to be how God has revealed himself to us. So if we're thinking about our lives of faith, our lives of evangelism and mission, the central point of all reality and the starting point has to be how God has shown himself to us. Now, in our culture, the starting point is often the individual. And I know this very well because I was training for several years as a social scientist and taught for nine years in the social sciences, psychology specifically. I was the person who observed the world. I was the person who developed hypotheses based on theory and observation. I was the one who chose how to figure out how to measure the variables and scientifically test them. I was the one who arrived at truth. But then what happens when I'm the one who decides what truth is, then sharing Jesus with people becomes trying to convince them of some, uh, that Jesus is the better truth or maybe superior way of truth. And it, it, go, it blends into to arguments and evidence, which in themselves aren't necessarily problematic. But then my job becomes convincing people to come over to my side. But that's the wrong starting point. Where we need to start is here in John 1 with how God revealed himself and how we, as a person, have an encounter with Jesus who makes God visible to us. Then we live in union with this Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that other people encounter this Jesus in us. As we said earlier, Jesus is the sacrament of God. We are the sacrament of Jesus. People don't need another TED Talk. People need Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have a new ministry that I'd like to propose in 2019, and I'm going to call it Res Ride Along. And anyone who's interested will take an Uber or a Lyft ride with Bishop Stewart. And they'll watch how he embodies Jesus to the driver. So in August, uh, my wife Kirsten and I, along with John and Jenna Perrine and the bishop, went to a, a church planting conference, an ACNA conference in Denver, and to travel between the airport and our lodging and the venue, we would take a rideshare service every time. And each trip, we marveled at how the bishop made a personal connection with the driver that ultimately ended with praying for that person at the end of the trip. Now, before you say, well, pfft, of course, that's the bishop, I want to stop you on that and say that these conversations weren't fancy. There were no big theological words, and it actually wasn't a result of a big personality or an outgoing nature. That was not what happened. But here's what I noticed. 
there was a shepherding, just a care, a deep concern for the person, and asked, lots of questions were asked about the person. And as the person became comfortable sharing, they felt safe, and all of a sudden, they started to share pains and worries and concerns and fears. And then it ended something like this from Bishop Stewart. Well, I wonder if, if it wasn't an accident that our paths crossed today. I wonder if God wanted to meet you somehow, that he knew about these things, and, and maybe that's why our paths crossed today. There was no judgment. There were no spiritual laws. But it was the embodied presence of Jesus bringing hope and healing to hurting people. It was invigorating to me, like this is actually what everyday, ordinary, embodied witness looks like. And so on our ride home after the bishop had gone to, I think, a vestry retreat or something, my wife and I tried it out. We took a ride, and we kind of emulated what we saw, and you know what happened? The same thing. That this wasn't the result of a person weaseling away into a conversation. This was the actual work and embodiment of Jesus in people's lives, and they're drawn to it. It is magnetic. When we feel and encounter the presence of the living Lord among us, it is like a tractor beam that brings us in. So it's kind of like retraining ourselves to remember that in every interaction we have, we are the embodied presence of Jesus, and it's an invitation for people to encounter the living presence of Jesus in us. As I was sitting with this this week, I was really convicted, because sadly, I often lose sight of this fact that Jesus is present in me. I get so preoccupied with my own destination, my own plans and things that are going on, uh, my own agendas, and I forget, actually, this incarnational ministry that the Lord has called me into, has called us into. Lord, help me, help us to embody the presence of Jesus who's inside of us to a world that's longing, longing to experience wholeness, healing. So we are called to show Jesus to the world, not in our own strength, not as something we have to work up and try to figure out how to do, but just a natural outgrowth of the presence of Jesus in us. Resurrection, what would it look like if we began to live more thoroughly, more deeply into this calling? What if our families, our, our kids, our parents, our mom, uh, moms and dads, our aunts and uncles and cousins, what if they encountered the love of peace, the, the peace of Jesus in us, even when things are really stressful? What if our colleagues or our classmates encountered the grace and truth of Jesus in our interactions with them at school and at work? What if our neighbors encountered the radical hospitality of Jesus and inviting participation with him around our tables? What could happen in our homes? What could happen in our neighborhoods, in the western suburbs? We have this amazing calling 
to show, to embody the presence of Jesus to our world. And the great news is God has made sure that we have the power to do that through the incarnation. May the words of our collect that we prayed earlier this morning be true for us. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.